0: Hello everyone and welcome back. As you know, I am the Crusader Gal. I was recently struck by an article at Crisis Magazine called Appeal- Appealing But Deadly and I was all well, enamored by just how candid the author was. And so I invited him on the show and he actually said yes, so I- I'm thrilled to have him on the show today. His name is Austin Ruse, He's the longtime president of the Center for Family and Human Rights, a New York and Washington DC-based research institute that works on international social policy at the United Nations primarily. His group has played a central role in blocking a global right to abortion and a redefinition of the family in international law. He's the author of hundreds of articles, essays, and columns. He's also the author of four books. So again, joining me today is Austin Roos. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: I am delighted to be with you, Crusader gal. <laughs> Thank you.
0: So in this article, I mean, you were talking about Barry Weiss speaking at the annual conference of the Federalist Society and what you thought was wrong with that. Can you explain like who she is and why that's a problem?
1: Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I want to make very clear that uh, I'm a fan of the Federalist Society. You know, Leonard Leo, who's uh the head poobah there is an old personal friend. Right. Um, and uh, I, I published a book called Littlest Suffering Souls, Children Whose Short Lives Point Us to Christ. And one of the children that I write about was his daughter, Margaret, who uh, suffered her lifelong with uh, with uh, spina bifida and then passed at 14. Just oh. a remarkable story. So, So not really a criticism of the Federalist Society, but mostly about the, the face that someone like Barry Weiss presents to the world and, and mostly to, and, and specifically to conservative circles, um, that, um, you know, she's a married lesbian, uh, you know, and, uh, the pre what comes across is that this is perfectly normal and natural, right. and she's accepted into certain circles. And this presents, the idea to the world that this is perfectly normal and natural, and it's not. And what I say in, in the piece is that whether she knows it or not, she's a sexual revolutionary, yes. and our, our you know Hamas is not an existential threat to the United States. The sexual revolution is, yes. and has been for 60 years. So, so she's a part of that, and insofar as we accept her into, you know, into our conferences and things like that, it makes it appear as if it doesn't really matter to us. And that's Mm -hmm. a big problem, I think.
0: I would agree. I also think it seems so unbelievably normal, though. You know, like nowadays, the idea of having somebody who is a public um, practicing homosexual um, taking the part of a supposed conservative role is so normal that when you say anything against it, people just seem a little bit shocked because it's become just part of what what is it accepted and expected?
1: You know, and I've been writing on this particular topic of, of this idea of, of the easygoing acceptance of this in conservative circles for some time. You know, uh, I I I I well, we've noticed it for a very very long time, um, and so yeah, you're right. It's it's quite common. You know, the other day on Twitter, I, I I'm not on Twitter X anymore, uh, but somebody pointed out to me that there was a kerfuffle over um gosh what some conservative homosexual Guy benson maybe it was the yes yeah. who I, you know rented rented you know rented a womb a and mm-hmm. uh, and and designed a baby and um there were all sorts of congratulations for him um there was a woman uh, uh named mcgrew I, I can't remember her first name she reached out to me uh, and we've been talking she's a columnist and and she like you you ought to have her on okay is, is very keen on this issue um uh, so so it's it's like there were all these congratulations for for him and his family and his baby and it's as if nothing is wrong like, I mean there's so many things wrong with that you know there's there's you know it, yes you, you th- know, there the, are wrenching- but
0: it's like the natural conclusion it's like if you're okay with and and this is I think there are a lot of people who are okay with having a a public homosexual conservative, but they're not okay with that person either adopting or purchasing a child. But I think that one is the natural conclusion of the other. If it's perfectly okay and that there's nothing indecent or degenerate about engaging in public acts of homosexuality, then therefore, what's the problem with them, you know, raising children, right? And I think that's one of the things that is sort of missed, is that one leads to the other. And this is, in general, the trajectory that you go. It's a sliding scale that we're we're kind of sliding pretty low at this point. But I I do think that there's a path, yeah.
1: And as you say, there are so few people who are willing to speak out on this. I mean, uh, God bless you, Thank you. For, for willing to talk about it. Uh, you know, my old friend, Bob Riley, uh, you know, ha- has written about these types of things on and off for years. I don't know if you know his work. He is uh, Robert Riley, just a, a big brain uh, in foreign policy, but wrote a very important book some years ago called Making Gay OK right. about how all of this happened. Um, and so that there are very few of us, you know, it's like I think it's really important that the few of us that are willing to do it ought to keep on doing it.
0: Yes, yes, um, I, I agree. And I, and in general though, what, what's happening, I think uh, people. Gradually refusing to talk about it and sort of seeding the issue to the peril of not only the the children that end up getting purchased but also the rest of society um, you, you mentioned that she's a a sexual revolutionary, and i i don't object um, but I think it would behoove us a little bit to talk about the fact that that this is instrumental in our society because i don 't think that you can i don 't think you can divorce. The sexual revolution from the state of the West or the decline of the West. In fact, mm-hmm. I would argue. I think that it's the sort of central, uh, the central thing wrong that everything else is merely mili- mm-hmm. tangential to it. I don't. I mean, if you don't have the family as the center of society, yet, I don't see how you would have anything like christian I don't think you could have a civilization. Your thoughts?
1: You know, I I I couldn't possibly agree with you more. <laughs> Uh, You know, the the, the central issue of the last half century or more has been the the triumph of the sexual revolution. And, you know, and it it is it's it's not just the sexual left that it has affected. I mean, it has affected everybody, including all the conservatives who think there's nothing wrong with homosexuality or that we we welcome these types of couplings into our ranks. And golly, they're good on Hamas and free speech. Um, therefore, you know, we've got to let these other things slide. And after all, there's nothing wrong with it as, uh, not that there's anything wrong with it as Jerry Seinfeld, uh, quite famously said, but I, I agree with you. I, I, think that the, the heart of our problem is the sexual revolution. Now, the good news is that even some, uh, radical feminists are waking up to this. Uh, the, the, the Louise Penny, uh, Louise Perry. Uh, who wrote a very important book on the sexual revolution last year? Uh, there was a reporter for the Washington Post who wrote uh, on this particular topic. So you know they are still willing to let the whole homosexual question slide, but they have concluded this, that the sexual revolution has been bad for women, and that's true enough. Right. But there's huge parts of it that they're not willing to address. Hopefully, they they might come to that. Yeah,
0: you talked in your in your article, the one that I ran, uh, mentioned about allowing such modernists in the movement was rat poison, which I kind of I like, as, I think it's a helpful visual. Mm-hmm. Could, could you explain that for the audience though?
1: <laughs> there's, a, there's a very smart woman that I know named uh, Rebecca Diaz Bonilla, who is an international consultant on communications and she works with foreign governments. She's a very brilliant woman. And she gives a, 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 a lecture about family and popular culture. And she uses uh, the, the the idea of rat poison—that there are sometimes wonderful movies. The example that she gives is when Harry met Sally, which which mm-hmm. is rat poison because it's a beautiful rom-com. I love when Harry when when Harry met Sally, um, mm-hmm. but at the heart of when Harry met Sally is infidelity. Now, a friend of mine challenged me on that the other day, but but I mean that's the idea—is that rat poison is rat poison because rats love it, and they will go eat it and they will die. And insofar as we accept certain of these ideas, we're, we're also eating rat poison, which destroy, destroys our souls in some cases, pornography, um, and and truly harms society. Um, I, I wrote a piece in Modern Age called How Davos Man Beat the Family Man. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, Davos Man is, the only way that Davos Man is going to win is, is by atomizing all of us. They want us to be alone because we're easier to push around when we're alone rather than sitting with, you know, 10 children around us. Um, And, and so, so part of the sexual revolution, the predicate for so much that's going on today is the atomization of the, of, of, of of all of us. And the predicate is the sexual revolution.
0: Right. And that, I would say also that that has sort of increased in modern times, even past the the sexual revolution, which is not to say that it's not the foundation, um, but the isolation of people, I think was <clears throat> has been sort of maximized. Uh, the internet has played a role in that, which you know we can do these these conversations, which is great, um, without me traveling. Uh, however, at the same time, I think that it has uh, led to some exacerbation of that, and the and the understanding that this in some way is a replacement uh, to community, and it's not. Uh, and that was i think most most shown throughout covid where you sort of had the the replacement of of the state in, in place of any sort of community it was um and so over time, as you accept that people should be alone or that it's okay for people to uh, be alone in like a social sense, it's, it's like it's counter to a person's nature, right? We're, we're social mm-hmm. creatures. Um, I think it kind of all goes together when you look at the decline of the West. I don't think you can avoid talking about the fact that um, we're supposed to be, to be social and to have communities, And we don't. So you erode the family and then you erode any connections with the other families that should actually take place.
1: You know, Mary Everstadt, who's one of my heroes, uh, wrote a book about uh, these feral children that you see uh, rioting in downtown Portland. You know, the the beginning of that is the fact is, you know, divorce, like a fatherhood. Um, mm-hmm. that they don't have any brothers or sisters or aunts or uncles. And, you know, you go out and you find community. And she said one of the targets of uh, the feral children in, in Portland was from time to time actually invading suburban neighborhoods and protesting in front of the homes of families. And 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 part of their anger, wow. a huge part of their anger is the fact that, you know, they're, they're fatherless, they're uncle less, their auntless, their cousinless. Um, you know, I I stepped into, you know, accidentally a few weeks ago, one of these Hamas demonstrators, I was demonstrations. I was getting off the train in Washington, DC, and I saw this young woman who was as angry as anybody that I've ever seen in my life. And it seemed like some sort of primal scream, which is the phrase that, that Mary Eberstadt uses with, with regard to these yeah. children. And I, all I thought was, this is not about Hamas for you. This is, this is a, a cry for your father, who's probably absent. Um, and that's the sexual revolution.
0: Yes, I know. And, you know, we do see the results, I think, of fatherlessness and, and also of a sort of androgyny. I think it's fair to say. I think we're sort of living in a bit of a a a time of androgyny in which, you know, women don't want to be women and men don't want to be men, and and we're told that either can be can be either or can be both in the case of a single parent, and all of that comes together to, in is evidenced when it comes together, uh, as wrong, right? Because it's it's wrong when you see the results of it, and the results are so incredibly manifest in the sort of things that you're talking about, and yeah, you you do see. Uh, especially like you know the the self-proclaimed feminists on college campuses and so on they do not seem like happy people i will say that much you know they are some like seriously angry uh, volatile people who can be uh, set off very rapidly who are emotionalistic who are uh, just quite literally not in control of themselves um yeah. So, so yeah, you do see that, and they don't appreciate it when you ask what their relationship with their fathers is like. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, I'm I'm working on my next book right now, which I'm going to be calling "Not Just for Kings: Founding Families for the Ages." Oh, wow. um, you know how how the landed, the nobles, you know, the uh, uh, are able to maintain, project their family through time because they have something to protect, you know, a title, land, so on and so forth. But you see, this thing is for all of us. And what I'm doing here is I'm interviewing a lot of families here in Northern Virginia who have this hundred year vision for their families. And, you know, it's an amazing community here in Northern Virginia, because there are hundreds of mission oriented families um, who live here they're intermarrying, you know, they're having, I think one of the keys is they're having a, as many children as God wants them to have, right. you know, in some cases, two, in some cases, 10. Um, and, and, and one of the common denominators of all of this is the joy that they present to the world. Uh, and then at the end of the day, I think that this is what's going to save us is that, you know, faithful Catholics continuing to have as many children as God wants them to have an intermarrying and spreading out, you know?
0: Yeah. The other side aren't really making many kids. Who is that. Um,
1: but No, uh, no.
0: I, I do want to ask, do you think that the willingness to sort of allow, um, the conservative movement to be sort of infiltrated uh by these elements do you think that's due to conservatives now failing to believe what they used to believe or do you think it's cowardice or just the fact that they think that we've already lost the battle therefore you might as well cede it like where does this come from this idea that you know oh it's perfectly fine yes he's a he's faux married you know to a man but he can go ahead and, and lead up our organization and what have you
1: you know i think it's because uh the uh the mainstream conservative movement believes that this whole fight is over, uh, that you know we we lost it with Obergefell, and we just need to move on. Um, you know, people that I deeply admire who were major spokesmen during during the fight for uh, uh, leading up to Obergefell have said, you know, there is, no, there is no taste for overturning Obergefell, therefore it's over. Now, one of the mistakes that I think that our side made in, in the marriage debates is not talking about homosexuality per se. Right. You know, the top line message was children need moms and dads. Um, at the end of the day, that was a failing message. Um, what, what, what ought to have worked Uh, what ought to have been tried, and I think it was tried in some states. I mean, we won 32 statewide races, but it was where the argument was made that this is not a proper understanding of human sexuality, that homosexuality acted upon is disordered. Um, You know, no mother and father, well, this, this may be different. I think that no father celebrates the day that his son says that he wants to be with other men. Um, and and this is one of the things that I think we have to talk about. Um, should have talked about in the run up to Obergefell. Should have talked about more. Should continue talking about it more. But now I think that, golly, you know these guys are. You know, Douglas Murray wrote a book about saving Western civilization. Right. So did Spencer Clavin. And left out. You know, and um, left and, out. Sexual and, revolution. And these guys are. You know, as I say about about Barry Weiss. I mean, they're sexual revolutionaries. Yeah. Um, h- how can a sexual revolutionary save Western civilization? Is the question.
0: Right. Yeah, I don't see that being possible. Okay, well, to introduce a bit of a a devil's advocate, because I thought that makes it more interesting, there was a. When I posted your video out on my social media, sorry, your article out on my social media, I got, you know, varied responses, mostly positive because the people who follow my work. But there was uh, one which I think sort of is representative of so many. I see if I can pull it on the screen and I'll also read it along. It says, Whatever happened to love the sinner but not the sin or the sinner's lifestyle? I can accept someone who is conservative and for Israel without condoning their sexual choices and way of living. In other words, I have a liberal friend who is an extreme leftist, but I do not accept his crazy leftist views and leftist support or green energy. In order to be a conservative, do I have to shun him? What Austin Ruse is saying is that you have to accept not only the views, but also the way of living to accept that person into your movement. I can understand if the person was a pedophile or a sexual predator, you want nothing to do with a criminal. Okay, what do you think?
1: Well, you know, uh, of course that is a common common argument. Um, I think that, I think that they should not be running conservative organizations. Right. You know, um, uh, you know, my favorite homosexual was <laughs> Justin Raimondo. Do, do, do you, you're probably too, too, too young, young to remember yeah, sorry. Justin Raimondo. Justin Raimondo, he just died a couple of years ago. Favorite. He he had this uh, website called antiwar.com, which is really good. Um, yeah. You know, it's against, he's, he was against all that. war. Uh-huh. He's a libertarian. And he said, yeah, that, that was Justin okay, Raimondo. He that. wrote a wonderful book maybe 15, 20 years ago, about uh, the paleoconservative movement. You know, so he was a paleoconservative. Okay. Um, but he was a homosexual. And he said he he resented the the sort of aggressive homosexual movement that mainstreamed everything because he said one of the great things about homosexuality was all the sneaking around. <laughs> which which I, I really appreciate. Right. And and now it's like white ticket fences and things like that. Um, so, you know, I, I I think that it's, you know what, it's a hard question. I don't know if I really have an answer. I don't think that they can run our organizations. They can't be presented as normal, right? Yes. You Douglas Murray, you can talk about Hamas, but we're not going to accept your lifestyle. You know, and I, I was at the national conservative conference in Miami a few years ago and Douglas Murray was on stage and he sneered. In, in the most awful way about how, you know, how can any adult care about what another adult does with their genitalia, right you know? And, and this kind of thing had not even come up. It was like a non sequitur. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, we don't really care, you know? Um, as I say and said in a piece about that, you know, you can stoop mud if you want to. Just don't tell us how wonderful it is.
0: Right. I mean, it's unhealthy for society when you, when you label yourself by, it's also unhealthy for you and your soul, but it's unhealthy for greater society when you identify yourself by your vices, you know, and the thing is that you're, okay, I think that people might understand it a little better if you make a parallel to a different sexual vice. So for example, like if a guy came up on stage and, you know, described himself as an adulterer and then went on to give his speech about free speech. Like you see how it would like muddy the entire <laughs> the entire thing because you're like well, right. why is that's this guy right. talking about moral issues? He doesn't have any authority from which to to stand um and that's that's one of the areas where I think it's just like we become so neutralized to the homosexual issue, yeah. but you see some other you know sexual sins, and it's like oh that 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 seems really immoral, and with homosexuality it, it goes from one to so many because it's like if you accept homosexuality as just another orientation, which is the argument that's made today. Well, from there, uh, you can accept just about anything because the, the traditional view as you alluded to earlier was like there is one state of, of healthy sexuality um, and everything else is is a type of disorder.
1: Have Have you noticed how uh, some of the mainstream conservative homosexuals, are uh, trying to distance themselves from uh, the transgender movement. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. I, which, which I, I wrote a column not long ago. Is that We cannot let them <laughs> separate the L, the Gs, the T, but t- t- to from the T. Yeah. They are the same. And we have to insist that they remain the same. But, you know, you have somebody like Andrew Sullivan and others saying, oh, no, 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 that's not really a part of, of who we are and what we are. But you know what? It is.
0: Yeah. I mean, it all comes from the sort of same conclusion. Um, but also in that, in that same comment right there, is that the last sentence says, I can understand if the person was a pedophile or a sexual predator, you want nothing to do with a criminal. And there's something like really interesting about this because it's, it's, it's the sort of passing off morality onto the justice system. And, oh, right. and, and traditionally we would say, well, we will make certain things illegal because they are not moral it's not they're not moral because they're illegal. if you follow <laughs> it's right, yeah, um but that's the the sort of modern view is that whatever is criminal is immoral, and whatever is is lawful is is moral, and that's where you kind of get some confusion you know and
1: when whenever people make that argument, I like to point about, out the fact that before Lawrence v Texas, most of the states uh, uh outlawed sodomy, so you know right. That was okay with you then, right? Well, as a matter of fact, it wasn't. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a, it's a sticky wicket, and there are darn few of us who are willing to talk about this. You know, it's funny. I'm a little bit like Nicodemus. Uh, I'm a little bit, uh, you know, I'm a little bit like Christ with Nicodemus coming to me in the night. Okay. It's like so many people come to me with emails saying, "I'm really glad you're doing this," and "I'm really glad you're saying this," but they don't, and that's fine. I get that. Too. I mean, that's totally fine. <laughs> I I understand. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It's uh, You know, there's a piece that I'd like to submit to the Claremont Review of Books, and I know that I can't at this point, you know, criticizing Spencer Clavin for his lifestyle, uh, even though he's not the head poobah there. You know, he is right. one of the top editors. So it, it's like I'm old enough, not really – you know, and I've been working on these issues for so long. Uh, you know, my organization, CFAM, we've been, we've been lobbying on these issues since 1997, you know, and we've blocked a sexual orientation and gender identity from becoming a, a, new, a new protected category in, uh, in international law. For, we've blocked it for 27 years. So I'm I'm already blacklisted. You know, I'm, I'm my organization is on the Southern Poverty Law Center hate list. Congratulations. Not everybody. can. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> One day Not I'll be
0: there.
1: <laughs> Got
0: to have goals, you know. <laughs>
1: So but not everybody's willing to go that far, you know, and, and people say, well, what should I do? And I say, you know, write a check, you know, um, do do what you can. Right. You know, um, like my wife uh, has spent years, even before COVID and even before the the, uh, the whole trans thing exploded on the national stage via the local school boards. My wife and her friends were down at the Fairfax County School Board every other week for a couple of years uh, giving little speeches on, on the transgender policy. So do that. And you know what, if you can't do that, go down and shake somebody's hand who is making that kind of speech. You know what I mean? It's like, everybody can charge the sniper's nest in their own way. If you've seen the movie full metal jacket, uh, most guys have not all, not all women have, have. but you have, (laughs) isn't it wonderful? Yes. (laughs) The scene where uh, where uh, Animal Mother, you know, Cowboy says, you, 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 you cannot refuse to accept the situation. Well, Animal Mother says, oh, yes, I can refuse to accept the situation. And he jumps over the wall and he charges the sniper's nest. We're all called to charge the sniper's nest, sometimes like Animal Mother, sometimes in, in other ways, you know, uh, more hidden. But we're all called to charge the snipers, the cultural snipers. And they're everywhere.
0: Yes. Yes, they are. I wonder if the influx of sort of – they often call themselves ex-liberals, but it's they're not ex-liberals. They're liberals who are ex-democrats um, into the conservative movement because the, the American left has gone so far mm. left that they're no longer liberal. And so we've got, like, liberals who are calling themselves conservatives, causing the, the conservative movement to move further left as a result. Mm. And I do wonder if that's created a large part of the problem because – I mean, to be a conservative is not supposed to be to be a classical liberal. And yet that sort of that's right. that seems to be where we, we find ourselves. I mean, you've got people like Dennis Prager, for example, who will just come out and say, no, I'm not a conservative. I'm a classical liberal. But most people consider him to be, you know, a, a conservative and, and leading a, a pretty large uh, conservative organization, Prager,
1: you. You know, there, I, I wrote about this some months ago um, about some of these people coming over. And I, I can't remember the guy's name. He's Jewish. Uh, first name is Liev, L-I-E-V, and I can't remember his last name. Anyway, he, he's now a regular contributor to First Things. So, the, the, so you know, point well made. Is he all— C- can one be considered a conservative if you accept the sexual revolution is the question. And so, you know, this guy may be good on Israel, of course, on free speech. Uh, you know, the free speech issue has been an avenue for a lot of liberals to come yeah. our way because they see what's happening. But they, it seems to me that we have to convince them to leave behind the rest of the issues that they that they may be- believe in. I mean, abortion is one of them. Right. You know. Um, uh, you know and and maybe they won't go as far as we do with regard to for instance contraception you know which is practically a sacrament um and yeah. as as we know you know uh, you know a, among the very beginning of all of this was you know uh um, you know the world changed in October of 1959 yeah. when um, w- one of these companies applied for Fda approval for the for the contraceptive pill that was the Really, ground zero of the sexual revolution, and maybe they're not going to go that far. But I mean, you and I know right. that that that's at the heart of so much of this.
0: It is, um, but and yet we can't. I mean, I just kind of feel like the the argument is being made that what we need is volume, just like more people is is an inherent mm. good. And I think that more people who don't acknowledge that the sexual revolution um, is is a problem or is the problem. Uh, Because from where I'm sitting, um, the foreign policy isn't anywhere near as big of an issue. Tax rates and and everything, they're not as big of issues as the fact that our civilization is going to fall, because it's going to fall due to, uh, you know, the dissolution of the family that gets rid of any sort of semblance of culture that we have. Like, it's going to die from the inside far, far faster than it's going to die from without. Um, To me, that, that couldn't be clearer. I do wonder, like, uh, do you think it's possible to reignite conservatism as traditionalism without it being a faith-based movement?
1: Oh golly, that is a really good question, and I don't think I have an answer for that. What, what, what do you say?
0: I, I don't think so, because I mean, I, I mean, I guess it's it's possible to be sort of an agnostic, but then recognize that the Christian values um, are inherent, are, are needed. Foundationally, um, I guess you could mm-hmm. perhaps take that, but you just don't ca- quite have the the gift of faith yet. Um, at that point, yeah. I think you'd have to take sort of like a Pascal's wager at some point. But anyway, th- there's maybe that, but I don't. But I think that conservatism is faith based, at least was when it was conservatism, because th- what you're conserving are <laughs> values that are rooted in the Christian faith. Like, I mean, yeah, and and therefore. I I kind of wonder like can you get conservatism back without some sort of um, reignition to, in that direction like and an, an actual acknowledgement because now so many conservatives are trying to like not mention the fact that they're even you know Christian are Catholic or not but like even Christian they're not willing to, to say that because then people might stop listening to them because it's not or they don't think it's it's def- is defensible or something like that.
1: You know, it, well, here's the question: ha, Have we been hurt by um, uh, the the aspects of the pro family movement going back to you know people like Jerry Falwell and and Pat Robertson? I mean, o- often people point to those guys mm-hmm. as things that have really harmed that aspect of of conservatism. You know, that part of the three legged stool. Uh, I mean, at the time they were extremely important in pushing back on a lot of these issues, but their presentation was sometimes, I guess, a little bit harsh. I mean, I'm accused of that too. Me too. So, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so that that is a really big question as to what religion, you know, uh, you know it, 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 what religion do we urge to get back involved in, in conservatism? Um, and, and, and in what way, uh, you know, it's, it's a complicated thing. And, and, and then among conservatives, um, you can have, uh, I mean, among Catholics, you can have, you know, Dorothy Day types right. who can be quite good on abortion and contraception and all of those things. Uh, but who may be really bad on, I don't know, taxation or something. I care less about that at just like you. Right. Um, and, 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 and quite honestly, um, Donald Trump changed me with regard to foreign policy issues. I'm I'm now practically a peacenik. You know, um, yeah. uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Is, isn't it weird how he how he reshuffled the deck? He he gave us permission to dislike what George Bush did in Iraq. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, his his complete rejection of neoconservatism in terms of you know foreign policy. Was fabulous. Um, I thought the fact that yeah. he he wasn't willing to sort of get get dragged into what M- McCain and Bush and all of that were were part of.
1: Did your views change on on these things because of Trump, or were you always I, I was a little bit of a neck? I,
0: I was always a little bit that way. Um, I I did get pulled more in the area of of tariffs. I wasn't sure that they would actually work, but I started to see them work um, toward the to, toward the end of Trump's. Rain. I I was I was thrilled with that, and he certainly emboldened. I think my views that were a little bit tepid before then in terms of foreign policy. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Are you um, supporting him again? uh,
0: Probably only in a (laughs) uh, only in a best of bad options kind of a way, um, perhaps. But the way that he. Dealt with uh, COVID, I thought was I thought was horrible. Um,
1: very interesting, very interesting. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, th- I thought that was horrible. I I didn't like the way that he was so wishy-washy on some really big issues like gun rights. When he was like, "We'll take the guns first, uh, due process later," things like that. I think can um, yeah, yeah, you know. So these things just like jump out at me, and the fact that he he doesn't actually lead from the front in terms of culture,
1: like. Well you know, you know like, he's, look, he's really bad on LGBT. But so know, I was gonna say, and, you know, you look uh, at the,
0: the abortion yeah. issue, which he criticized after the midterms that we were being, you know, too uh, too anti abortion, um, that kind yeah. of stuff. I just when I when I put it all together it's like, goodness, could he really be the best option?
1: You know. So so that's interesting. The position that you take is 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 really on questions of policy and not personality. Correct. Um, you know, a lot of people just say, you know, he's he's so icky. And, no, I uh, I, I, you know, I like the
0: kind of fact thing. that in terms of personality, he's he's willing to be be aggressive and be hated. Um, I actually think that, that yeah. we need more of that of people who just do not care um, <laughs> about that. Right. Uh, right. I, I, I care about you what know, he the, does. The other thing about
1: yeah. the other thing about him is that uh, he actually makes me laugh.
0: Yes. Yeah, he's I funny. Mean, with him.
1: Yes. Like like the other night with, with Hannity where he said he'll he'll be a dictator on day on, on the first day. Right. You know, that was hilarious and everybody got it. Right. You know, except the mainstream media.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he has actually always been funny. And that's just part of his personality, is the, the more aggressive thing, yeah. I think it tends to be comical. Some people find it horrifying, but
1: <laughs> in, in in my book, uh, The Catholic Case for Trump, uh, I write about his uh, He's got a real Jewish sense of humor. You know, it, it's like he grew up on work sites in New York City, you know, right. and he hung out with, you know, New York is very Jewish. And and he he has the the comedic patter of a Catskill comedian. And a lot of people miss that.
0: Okay, fair enough. I'm not particularly familiar with, with Jewish humor. I mean, I'm British, so um, my, my humor is just dry.
1: <laughs> but all right. You, you should see the, um, and well, at, you know, actually, you, you may scold me for this because uh, there are some sexual revolutionary aspects to this show, but The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel okay. is a remarkable television show, and it's about Jewish comedians in New York City. That's all I'm going to say.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll take a look. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. <laughs> I, I love the, uh, the conversation that we had, and there are so few people who are willing to talk about these important issues. Uh, where can people find your work, Austin?
1: Well, I, I write a column every other week at uh, Crisis Magazine, so uh, they can just look up my columns. I've uh, got several hundred columns there, uh, crisismagazine.org. My organization is called CFAM, C-F-A-M. Uh, our website is c-f-a-m.org. And uh, my day job is uh, fighting the sexual revolutionaries at the UN. And, man, do they hate us. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your good work. <laughs> Annie, thank you so much for having me. All right, bye-bye.